okay, the customer didn't come here to buy my service or my product. They came to get an outcome. They came to get a result. And I want to keep that result in front of them and my internal team constantly so that we're not just doing the thing over and over and over again. We're actually solving their problem and giving them a great experience along the way. Because again, I can't stress this enough. Just like you have to give technical training, you also have to have customer experience training. One of the most important facets of any business is customer service. In business, you are not only selling a product or a service, but an experience. Providing exceptional customer service and developing real relationships with your clients means increased sales, retain customers, new customers via word of mouth, and a positive reputation. You're listening to the Focus on Customer Experience Podcast. Podcast. Benjamin Del Grosso gives you the ins and outs of one of the most underlooked aspects in business today. Improve your customer service and watch your business skyrocket. Two, one. Benjamin Del Grosso. Hello and welcome to the show. Today we have Nathan. He's the president of 54. Uh, they help service-based businesses solve the two most common barriers to growth: apathetic employees and unhappy customers. So Nathan, give us a little bit of a breakdown of who you are and how'd you get here. Well, thanks so much for having me, Ben. Yeah, my name is Nathan Schock, and I'm the co-founder and president of a company called Five Four. And we were founded on the belief that businesses don't grow, people grow, and then they grow the business. So what we do is we help all kinds of companies, primarily service-based businesses, figure out what it was that made them special. See, we work with these growing companies and they're always growing for some reason, something that they did magical for the customer. But as they start to grow, we get disconnected from the things that made us grow in the first place. And we help them really document that and then build training systems from it so that all new employees who come in know what it is that makes them special and how to perpetuate it. Yeah. No, because some companies, they get so big and then they forget where they came from. Same as like, you know, not to get into a different tangent, but like movie stars, right? There's movie stars that as they become more wealthy, they forget who they are, you know, who made them who they are, their family, their, you know, all those kinds of things, right? And all your customers have been built over the years and they're supporting you in such a way. And if all of a sudden you just throw that all out and start chasing the money, you're not really special anymore, right? You're absolutely right, uh, Ben. You think about what you're talking about is, is what we call culture. It's the culture of the business. And culture is not ping pong tables in the break room and Hawaiian shirt Fridays, right? It's, oh, it's too bad. <laughs> culture is people like us do things like this. It's what makes the business distinctive. And, and as you grow, if you're not really intentional about maintaining and developing that culture, well, then you're just saying, I'm going to take whatever culture shows up. And then culture becomes like the worst behavior you're willing to tolerate. 
And that's when we start to have real issues. You see, when I started Five Four, I, I came from the corporate world. Um, I left the corporate world about 10 years ago. And I joined a startup and it didn't go very well. And then about a year and a half into that, the rest of the leadership team exited and now I was in charge of the business. And even though I had help, I had to really learn on the job. And I made probably every rookie mistake that you can make running a business. And, and what I determined was I didn't want that for other people. I wanted to be able to build a business like this that would help other people know how to do it and how to keep the business growing by developing their people. Yeah, that's it's very true because so many businesses make the same mistakes over and over and over again. And I mean, so I'm part of a certain networking group and the whole point of us being in this networking group and we get trainings three times a month from some very uh, successful uh, people, which are Andy Frisella and Ed Milet. So yeah. pretty, pretty great guys. They've, they've, uh, you know, and the big thing they say is, you know, the one guy's been in business 23 years and he goes, and I've made every mistake in the book. The first 10 years of my business, I had employees quit on me. I had employees stealing from me. I had so many things go wrong. And that's because I didn't take care of my employees. I didn't listen to my employees. I didn't have a culture. I didn't have a mission, vision, values, right? So all these things are always like hammered into our head that if you have all these things when you start, right, it's a lot easier to continue growing and scaling when you have the proper support systems, the proper structure all put in place. So yeah, what you're, what you're doing is key because there's so many mistakes that entrepreneurs make over and over again. And the first two years is when the majority of them quit. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what you're describing is, is, is what we deal with all the time. See, a lot of times that, that idea of the mission, right? These really mission or vision driven organizations, when you're small and everyone's in this, you know, basically in a one room office, you don't have to uh, really write this stuff down. You'd be far better off if you did, if you documented it so everyone knew clearly. But a lot of times they learn it just through proximity to the leader or the founder, right? You want to know how to take care of a customer? Well, watch me do it while I'm on the phone. Hmm. And, and they learn it that way. Um, but at, again, as they grow, now they can't be everywhere. And instead of being around every employee all the time, sometimes they're around an uh, employee at a different office once a week, or now they've got a different office in another state, maybe once a month. And it just slowly dilutes um, th those standards. And, and when employees become apathetic, like you, you mentioned at the top, it's not their fault, typically. It's because we didn't give good instruction. Let me give you a great example. Again, going back to one of those early leadership mistakes. I told my team, just take care of the customer, right? And I thought, hey, that's all I need to say, right? Just take care of them. Um, and I had a designer who worked for me and I, I started getting complaints from customers, not about her work. Her work was great, but that she didn't return emails on time. She didn't call back. The emails weren't very clear. Um, you know, she seemed really short with the customer when she talked to him. And so I sat down and talked to her and she said, well, I could get their work done a lot faster if they would just leave me alone. And I thought, 
if they just left you alone, we wouldn't have customers, right? Like the, the job, the way to take care of a customer is not just the work, it's how you do it. And, and I just hadn't taken the time to explain that because she came from a very different life background than I did. And everybody brings these same experiences to the workplace. And if you're not clear about what it means to take care of a customer, then you just leave it to everybody's individual interpretation and it can be whatever they decide. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, so think about it. We've had in the space that I that I was in for many years, the, the technician would be in the back, hidden in their hole working on vehicles that's all they would do right and that was their job and then the manager's job was to decode whatever they said explain it to the salesperson so the salesperson can explain it to the customer and then i would say about 15 years or or so ago it turned into the whole hey we could use the technician to help the customer so then the technicians started coming out and talking to the customers. So now it was like a different technician was needed. So instead of just a guy who picks up tools or girl who picks up tools, right? Now, all of a sudden it turns into that technician needs to be able to have social skills. Right. Right. So now, so now it's like, well, how do I find another technician that has social skills? Right. So, you know, I, I watched a lot of this evolution happen because I would say for many years, you know, much like what you're talking about there, that person would probably just do that job and that job only, and probably wouldn't even answer emails, right? Someone would come in and kind of pick her brain, get the information and then, then give it out. But now with the way the world keeps transforming, it's like, we want what's inside that person's brain, <laughs> right? Am, am I making sense here or am yeah. I talking craziness? <laughs> no, no, absolutely. And, and a lot of times we think, again, as businesses, well, it would be great if the person actually doing the work is the one who's talking to the customer. Yeah. And that can be great. It can also be a complete disaster. Yes, yes, it can. <laughs> but, but, but that's where we get back to training and development. Just like you have to train them to be a technician, you also have to train them in the skills of having a great customer experience. That isn't something that just occurs. Well, it can, and we can hire those magical people. And then one out of every 10 of our employees will give a great customer experience. And with the other nine, it'll be awful. And then there's no consistency and, and they won't, they won't think, Hey, I love your business. They'll think I love that one person in your business. Yeah, we, we, I mean, and, and part of the, the growing pains of bringing the technician out to talk to clients was the customer would say, and what do you think about this product? And if the technician hated that brand, it's, it's crap, <laughs> right? Like, and, right. so all of a sudden it's like, oh man, <laughs> this whole sale just like went and like, you know, cause now, now that your rapport with the customer just ended because now they're like, I only trust this technician. I don't trust you. So it was like a lot of that was a learning process of explaining because the problem with when, when you're dealing with with products like we were in, in the retail space is everybody has an opinion on what's good or what's bad. And unfortunately, you know, we had to start explaining to technicians that, that your job is to come out and just explain to customers what's involved with the install, where the product would go, yeah. you know, like, you know, 
they, they like most technicians don't even have training on the product. They just have training on how to install the product, right? So they don't and, even... and telling the customer they they uh, made a <laughs> bad purchase is not a great experience. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. It was, you know, like I said, there's been, there's been some growing pains over the years. <laughs> yeah, and and sometimes again, having those technicians interact can be great. But I had another uh, client that I work with. And they, they were also having trouble with those interactions that, that you know, the, the, the technician wanted to get the work done as fast as possible. And it came across that they were short on the call. They didn't, you know, really listen to the customer fully. So they changed some things in the delivery of their service and added a customer success position someone who just interacts with the customer and then guides the work internally. The result was their revenue doubled in the next calendar year, just because they had someone who could deal with the customer. Cause you know what? Once they started listening to the customer, guess what the customer told them? Well, you did such a good job with this. I also have this problem. And I also have this problem. Oh yeah, we can solve that. Yeah. And I also have this problem. Oh, we can solve that too because they liked so much how they were dealt with, they kept bringing more and more business back to the company because they loved the experience of working with them. Yeah, that makes sense. Cause that's, that's how we evolved. We evolved to like managers like myself that had install experience, had sales experience. Mm-hmm. And we were like the interpreters for communicating between sales and installation. Right. And that's what kind of what it turned into is, the whole thing was to have somebody in that position that understood both sides of the fence so that they could be the interpreter, right? Which is what you're talking about, like a customer success manager, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's to always keep, okay, the customer didn't come here to buy my service or my product. They came to get an outcome. They came to get a result. And I want to keep that result in front of them and my internal team constantly so that we're not just doing the thing over and over and over again. We're actually solving their problem and giving them a great experience along the way. Because again, I can't stress this enough. Just like you have to give technical training, you also have to have customer experience training. Because if you don't do that, they don't know what it means within your business to give a great customer experience. And it's not hard. There there are a few concepts that we teach that any business can use to have a great customer experience. So what are are some of those uh, steps or things that you do to to train somebody? Yeah, that's great, great, great question, Ben. And and when, when we work with companies, one thing that's really different about us is we don't come in and say, do this, stop doing that, change this, start that. Because again, they grew because of some magic they were delivering to the customer. Like that last client I told you about, they were just remembering back previously how things went really well. Oh yeah, it went really well when we had this person interacting with the customer in this way. Well, what if we did all of our customer interactions that way? But what we teach are some real foundational principles. And we learn these through our partnership with Joe Pine and Jim Gilmore. They're the authors of the book, The Experience Economy. 
And they said, if you want to stage a remarkable experience for your customers, there are five principles that you need to get right. The first one is it's about time. The experience that your customers have is not your product. It's not your service. It's not your offering. It's the time they spend with you. So how do you make that time remarkable? That's the, that's the first concept. So a lot of times when we talk about the experiences that we have, the good ones and the bad ones, it's about that time that you spent with them, right? That's what determines whether or not it's a good experience is the time. Because as Joe Pine and Jim Gilmore say, time is the currency of experiences. If they don't spend their time with you, then you can't give them a great experience. So that's yeah. the first one. Which uh, if you think about like a company like Amazon, they're not spending any time with you. You go on their website, you interact with the computer and somebody comes and throws it on your doorstep. There's, there's absolutely no time spent. There's no experience. But they honor your time, right? And, and this is what we see all the time now is that people want their products and services two ways, fast and cheap, so that they can spend their time and money on experiences that they love. But let me give you where Amazon is impacted for time. So the more you order from Amazon, what do you notice about Amazon's recommendations and, and the things that they show you? They get really specific and they start to know, oh, Benjamin always orders this. So I'm going to show him other things like that, that he might be interested in. So the more time I spend with Amazon, the better their recommendation engine the easier I can order stuff and the more time I save. It's, it, it all kind of flows together. They're really intentional about the time you spend with them, but you're right. It gets smaller and smaller and smaller all the time. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. It keeps changing. Yeah, for sure. So. Yeah. So that's the first one. The second one is how you do what you do. The experience is not what you do. It's how you do it, right? You have to be really intentional about not just the service, but the interaction. It's the human connection. How do you connect with that human being rather than just, you know, delivering an automated service that the same way every time? And, and you think about, um, you know, a company like Chick-fil-A. So you have Chick-fil-A who will tell you 80% of what we do is no different than any other fast food restaurant in the world. It's exactly the same. Clean bathrooms, a fryer, uh, you know, all, all those kinds of things. But where we're going to be different is in the 20%, the how we do what we do. That's by saying, it's my pleasure. By uh, going out into the lines in the drive up and taking their order before they even get to the drive up so that by the time they show up there, it's hot and ready and waiting for them. That's why Chick-fil-A, their revenue uh, is 10 times the industry average per store because of the 20%, the how they do it. That's what makes Chick-fil-A 
so different. Hmm. Sounds like some Simon Sinek stuff there. Absolutely. Yeah. It has to connect (laughs) back to, it has to connect back to who you are as an organization and how you do what you do. Yeah. And you need to be able to replicate it, scale it and keep growing it. You have to change it, train everybody to keep doing it, to keep it consistent. Yes. And the, and the how is different for everybody. You couldn't just copy Chick-fil-A and say, oh, well, Chick-fil-A is great at the customer experience. So we're just going to do the same thing that they do at, at, at Safe Drive Solutions. No, it wouldn't, it wouldn't work that way. You have to have it true to the organization that you are. That's how, to, that's how to get it right, how you do what you do. All right, the third one is only and exactly. So you can't give the same experience to every person and get the same outcome. People want different things. I think of my very first job, my very first W-2 job where I was waiting tables at the Baxter Cafe. And I came up to that very first table after my five minutes of training and, and I just laid it on. I had conversations. I was cracking jokes. I was filling their beers constantly. They were having fun. And at the end, they, uh, you know, they gave me a big tip. And I thought, wow, this is easy. I just do this every time and everybody will love me and give me big <laughs> tips. So I, I went to the next table to do that. And I started you know, laying it on again. And I noticed that they were kind of like, shrinking back some of them were hiding behind their menus like you know and i'm thinking maybe they just didn't hear me i need to pour it on even more and what i realized is at the end after i got a really bad tip from that table is they didn't want the same experience of the first one they wanted me to just be seen and not heard right to be there when when they needed me they weren't looking for a conversation They were just looking for a a service. And and the same way, if you do the same thing for every single customer, well, you're only going to satisfy one customer, that one right in the middle. Whereas everybody else has very different things that they want. And you have to be able to recognize it, empower your employees to do it, and then train them how to do it. Yeah, so you're talking... A lot of like introvert and extrovert, right? Which I'll get customers that all start talking and doing things. And then I'll notice they really have no interest in kind of talking or having anything. And, and, and I'm always, you know, some customers you're looking for that cue, like, yes. And okay. Yeah. That makes sense. And right. And, and then they'll ask question, follow-up questions, right? And I'll notice that some some of the, I would say, introverts, they're very closed off. They don't say much. And then you leave. And I always find this interesting with a lot, a lot of the introverts, right, is I'll leave. They're very quiet. I didn't know for sure if they were happy. I just made sure that they were educated on the product because that is a consistent thing that we always do. And then it's like, next thing you know, it's like, they were so blown away by everything, but they didn't really have any emotion or say anything. All of a sudden it's like, Oh, blah, blah, blah. You did Dave's vehicle and he was really happy with it. And it's like, all of a sudden all these referrals start coming through, yeah. even though they, but they don't, 
really talk to you or anything at all, but you know, you just have to guide them and show them. And then you'll have like a, a, an extrovert that will like literally talk to you the whole time you're working on the vehicle, right. And have a conversation. And, and like I even told you, there's a bunch of people I'll talk to them about soccer the whole time. Right. You know, so, you know, we have all these different kind of customers out there and you have to try and match the communication style to every uh, single client and you're not going to get it right every single time, but you want to get it right. You know, a good, I would say 90% of the time. Yeah. The key skill there that we teach is sense and respond because every customer is going to give you cues as to how they want the experience. And if you just plow straight forward with your service without taking that into account, you're not going to give them the experience they want. See, we don't, We don't want to practice the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. We want to practice the platinum rule, do unto others as they would have you do unto them, because everybody wants to be treated differently. I think of your business, uh, Benjamin, with a dash cam, you're going to have some customers who want to know every intricate little detail about how this thing works, how it connects to the power source. Um, what happens if it breaks down and others, they just want to know that the thing works and then have that 30 minute conversation about soccer and they're happy, right? It's, it's dealing with those totally different personalities and giving them the experience you want because the experience is for them. It's not for you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was, so I was telling you a story off camera about shoes that I bought I bought these shoes about 10 months ago and the last month or so they've been falling apart. Now I did buy them from Amazon, but still it was from an under armor of authorized reseller. So I, you know, first things first contacted under armor. They are the manufacturer and they basically said, please go to Amazon. Right. And they said, if Amazon can't help you call us back. So called Amazon, Amazon basically, you know, did this whole thing, went to the manager, blah, blah, blah. Nothing we can do for you. It's outside of the 30 days when we can help you out. You need to contact the manufacturer. So I went back to Under Armour. Under Armour basically said, there's nothing we can do for you. You need to go back to Amazon. So you're throwing these people back and forth like a yo-yo. And I, I had to stop and I said, listen, I need to talk very frankly to you. I run a podcast called Focus on Customer Experience. And frankly, you're making me not want to spend another dime with your brand. I'm I'm a customer. I'm sure you've said sorry that I've had a bad experience with your product. You've said it like four times or whatever over the two phone calls. That's great. But you're not solving my problem. Like I'm telling you, I have a defective shoe. It's an Under Armour shoe mm-hmm. and all i'm saying is i've had it for 10 months if it has a one-year warranty i just want the manufacturer to take care of it mm-hmm. and it's, it's if you said hey it has a six-month warranty i'd be like hey that sucks i'll go buy another pair of shoes but you're basically just passing the buck this and i said this is a reflection of your brand i understand you don't own under armor and this is what i said to her on the phone I said, but you need to understand, you're basically showing me that you don't care about taking care of a customer that spent money with 
Under Armour. And she just kept saying, yeah, but you bought it on Amazon. It doesn't matter where I bought it from. It's an <laughs> Under Armour product. Right. And it, you're, it, this is a reflection of your brand. And I said to her, listen, I'm just letting you know, this is my third pair of shoes with Under Armour in a row. And I don't think I'm going to buy another Under Armour product anymore because of how this is being handled. You're not willing to even take care of me. You're not even willing to say, hey, let me contact the manager and get back to you. Or if you contact this department, they might be able to do something for you. You know? Yeah. Yeah. We, we see this kind of stuff all the time too, Benjamin. We help businesses solve these kind of issues. Because if you think about it, a lot of service-based companies, what they're really doing is reselling a product and then providing a service on top of it, right? Like the installation or the upkeep or, or um, uh, you know, anything like that. So we work with a lot of financial institutions. And if you think about the, them, they're, they're selling things like MasterCard, right? Like a, they sell a credit card. And if, if something goes wrong with that credit card and they call the bank, the bank can't just say, well, that's MasterCard's problem. We don't, we don't deal with that. <laughs> you know, and, and what we talk about too here is this is a great segue into the fourth thing. The fourth principle is called surprise. And surprise is simply saying that the experience can't be expected. It has to be something outside of what they expected for a service delivery, that some experience that goes on top of that, that makes it a surprise. And surprise is incredibly powerful in service recovery, right? So think of if that company had just said, oh man, we feel so bad about that. We're gonna ship you a new pair of shoes. How would that make you feel about the Under Armour brand? I'd be like, these guys take care of me and I'm gonna go out there and probably tell five or 10 of my friends you believe it? I bought a pair of shoes. They were defective. And these guys shipped me a new pair of shoes. That's right. That's right. Now, there's a ton of research out there that shows that customers who have a problem that is fixed by a company are actually more loyal than if they never had a problem in the first place. They're more loyal to that brand. That's the power of, of surprise as service recovery, because you know what? We expect stuff to happen. Things fall apart. Things don't work. It happens all the time. But unfortunately, it's become a surprise that companies handle it really well. That, oh my gosh, this company really took care of me. So surprise, if you can get it right, is one of the most powerful components of the customer experience. And, and and is it, it just it gives you such loyalty. It, it takes those those customers from you know transactional to loyal, and it can do it really really fast. It had me really thinking about everything I do in my business again. The experience I had yesterday, and and it reminded me, you know, I have customers who contact me who have their own product, and we do install customer owned product from time to time. Mm. But I, people always say to me, well, like, what's the benefit of buying from you? And I go, well, you get full service from us. You know, if something goes wrong with that product, I can show up and go, here's a new one. And I can plug it in and you can be happy and I can take your defective one and you're back on driving. Right. However, 
when you buy it from the manufacturer, I you now uh, create this disconnection where I don't have that control. I can call them and say, hey, can we do something? And I can use leverage, especially if I have a relationship with that manufacturer. But I really have no control over that because of that, right? I mean, I didn't sell you the product, so I don't have that control. All I can do is come and look at it and go, yeah, it's defective. Yep. Please go back to such and such brand. But unfortunately, there's nothing more I can do for you. And those kinds of things, it's made me think that maybe I need to just not install customer-owned product at all because Mm -hmm. I'm giving people a bad customer experience and creating a whole of, sorry, you have to go back to Best Buy because you bought you bought your dash cam from Best Buy and I have no way of servicing you. So now that's the one part I don't have control of in my customer experience. Yeah. What, what you're talking about, uh, Benjamin, is a, is a critical component of the customer experience. It's looking at the full customer journey, not just the one interaction that you have, right? Because that's so easy to do is just to say, well, I'm going to give a great customer experience by installing the product that they purchased. But now, now I'm not involved in the purchase. I'm not involved in the delivery. I'm not involved in the repair. I'm not, you know, I'm giving up all of these components of the customer experience to someone else. Yes. And, And that's where, you know, that customer journey mapping can get, can be such a critical part of your business. When, when I walk my clients through that, they always have these huge ahas, like, oh my gosh, I never thought of that before. I never thought about how hard it was to find us. Or I never thought about what it's like after we leave, after the service is done. But this forces them to really think about it in a, in a, in a, uh, a holistic way. And that is incredibly powerful. If you don't do anything else after this, do that. Go think about the full customer journey and how they interact with you at each stage. Yeah, because it, it made me think like people buy dash cameras off Amazon and I do install them, right? But now it makes me wonder. So if it goes bad after six months, knowing what I just have gone through with my Under Armour shoes, how are they going to get service? Right. You know what I mean? Like, now, maybe maybe they buy a Thinkware dash camera on Amazon and flukishly Thinkware is the only authorized Amazon dealer. So they're going to get taken care of. Right. But not every brand is, is is like that. There's many other brands that are sold on there that, you know, you probably aren't going to get a hold of the manufacturer easily. Mm-hmm. So I just wonder, like, how those people are going to be taken care of. Well, I can be the knight in shining armor showing up. Here you go. Yeah. Problem solved. But I can't be that when it's purchased off Amazon and knowing what I'm going through with a pair of shoes and I can't even get service from the manufacturer. It just makes me think, am I going to have customers that go through the same thing? Right. Yeah. I, I, it, and this is, uh, um, this is just off the top of my head. So yeah, if, yeah. I were, if I were you, here's how I would probably handle this. I would say, okay, Mr. Customer, I'm more than happy to come install that for you. But here's what will happen if something goes wrong. 
It will be completely between you and Amazon and the manufacturer. And you might get caught in that triangle and not be able to find your way out. I'll do it for you. But here's what I would recommend. I would recommend that you actually send that back and, and install the one that I use because I stand behind all of my work. And if something goes wrong, we are going to take care of you. And, and then give them examples of how you've done that in the past. Anyway, that's that's a off the top oh, no. of the head. Oh no, that yeah, that's exactly what's going through my head is is how do I do that? And th- there are some challenges, you know, people get stuff as you know, Christmas gifts, birthday gifts, stuff like that. And you know, not everybody's in that position. But yeah, yeah it, it, it's it's got the wheels turning, especially after having that challenge yesterday, right? Like reevaluating. Uh-huh. Do I want to say no to more customers now as a result of that? And saying no, I, I have no problem saying it. I say it quite a bit to people, but but you know, do I want to say no even more now? Right. So yeah. that, like I said, that's that's a whole different conversation, but it gets you going. So so yep. you've said you have you said all five steps or let's let's do the fifth one. There we go. I thought we were missing one. <laughs> the fifth one is what we call all for one. And it has two aspects to it. First is everything that you do for the customer. It also applies to your internal customer, to your teammates. So if you treat your employees the way you want them to treat your customers, you're going to have a much better team experience and a much better customer experience because a battery can't give off what it doesn't have. So if you are not, if you do not have a great team experience, you cannot have a great customer experience. And then the flip side of all for one, the second part of all for one is customer experience is a team sport. It can't just be different for everybody. You all have to be all in. I was talking to the CEO of, of, a, of a bunch of banks. They have, you know, I think they had like 17 different locations. And he said, the customer experience is totally different based on whatever branch I walk into. In some, they get up and greet you at the door. In others, they barely, re- you know, they barely acknowledge your entrance. And that's what will turn customers off is that inconsistency because they want to know that it's going to be great no matter where they go. Otherwise, right. they'll, otherwise they'll just think that, that that was just one employee who was like a random one-off. So all for one is the fifth concept. And those are the ones we learned from Pine and Gilmore, the pioneers in customer experience. Those those guys are the genius. We're the ones that help teach and apply the principles. I always use this saying for many years, your system is as good as your weakest link, Mm. right? So if you have, you know, and I would use it for, we, I was in the car audio game, right? So I always say, you know, um, if you have all the best components, the best speakers, the best amplifiers, the best head unit, right? And then you use this small 18-gauge wire to power the whole system, your system's as good as that 18-gauge wire, right? So that's the big thing. Like, if you have this strong team, and then you have a really weak person that maybe is negative, isn't happy in their job, isn't fitting into the culture, they could bring your team down so that you're not operating at a high level. 
that's why I always say like your system's as good as your weakest link. The difference is, is whether or not your team and your culture can prop that person up and bring them to another level or not. Yes. We, we say you gotta, you gotta groom them or broom them. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta, <laughs> which is true, which is yeah. true. You, you, you at first, whenever we have a, a disconnected or a disengaged employee, we first have to look in the mirror and say, did, am I treating them the way I want them to treat customers? Am I teaching them? Am I training them? Am I telling them what my expectations are? And if I can look at that myself and say, I did everything right and they're still not getting it, that's when you have to say, you know what? Maybe this job just isn't for you. But you first, but you first have to look at yourself and make sure, did I do everything that I could to make them successful? Yeah. No. Do you, do you have any final words of wisdom or, I mean, this is great. You got your five steps. Do you have any yeah. final words of wisdom for, for the audience? Yeah. Well, let me, let me, let me just say why this is becoming so much more important. We have one twentieth of the human interactions that we did 20 years ago. One twentieth because of things like amazon.com pay at the pump gas, ATMs, grocery self-checkout lanes, all these things are reducing the number of human interactions that we used to have. And so now people are placing more importance on the interactions that they do have. And the companies who get it right, who don't just deliver a product or a service, that give their customers the experience that they want are the ones that are gonna win in this new marketplace. Is understanding there's a unique human being in front of me that's looking not just for what I'm selling, but they're looking for an experience with another human being. Those are the ones that are gonna be successful. I agree, I agree with you 100% because you know I have people call me and they'll vent to me and they'll say, I don't understand why I need this stupid dash camera thing, but if I had one, I wouldn't be in this 50-50 incident now, right? And I go, well, here's the thing that's happened over the last few years. And I'll explain it. It's usually somebody, you know, in their 60s or 70s that's kind of venting to me and getting mad, right? And I go, when people used to get into car accidents, what used to happen? And they go, what do you mean? I go, people used to stop, pull over to the side of the road and go, hey, are you okay? right? It doesn't happen that much anymore. People are more prone to take out their phones and videotape. I said, think about like, if there's two people fighting in the street, does anyone go and try and break them up? No. Instead, what people are doing is videotaping it and throwing it on Instagram, right? They don't really care about doing it. They're more worried about, did I get the video, right? You know, that's the way our world is today, unfortunately. So now having a dash camera, what it's doing is it's protecting you because now you're getting video evidence because now no one's pulling over the side of the road and going, I'm a witness. I seen what happened. I'm going to have your back. That's, and that, that's all part of that one twentieth, you know, of interaction. People just aren't interacting in that way anymore. And if anything, you know, we could agree on COVID sped that up even more because now people are like, I don't know if I can talk to that person. They could be sick. Right. Like, you know, yeah. like that, all that, you know, stuff yeah. going on in your head. 
Yeah. Or we're hidden behind a mask and it's yeah. hard and it's hard to pick up on those, those things, you know, it, it, yeah. And again, because <coughs> people are having fewer interactions, we, it's more important to teach the people who work for us and with us how to do it. Because if we're doing it less often, it's easier to get wrong. And that's why if you're not training the, the experience that you want your employees to deliver to your customers, you're saying, in effect, I'm, I'm happy with whatever they do. I don't really care. And that is the recipe for an inconsistent and a bad customer experience. And your customers will be looking for somewhere else to go. Yeah, this is... Uh... This is an awesome conversation today. It's great. Absolutely, Benjamin. I really enjoyed it too. Thanks a lot. Yeah.